Got Brian Adams in there. He cleaned house. Equalizer and the grapper outside. And Big now, in the mat. now you've got teamwork. Billy Jack Hayes and hey, Rip Oliver. Yeah, yeah, he's going to go for the full Nelson, Billy. Rip Oliver shouting to Billy Jack Hayes, go for the full Nelson. And the equalizer throws that garbage can in there. Oh, and he, oh, just, he got one. Oh, oh yeah. Hayes, 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 Wait a minute. Oh, the Billy Jack Hayes got it. Brian Adams and the full and Nelson. And the other guys are fighting with the garbage can. They're going to get that thing out of there. Grappler pushes the referee aside and attacks Billy Jack Hayes. Billy had the full Nelson on Brian Adams. We've got so much stuff going on in there right now. It's hard to keep track of everything. Larry Oliver's got the garbage can. Wait a minute. Billy, think Larry hit him with the can. Oh, Larry didn't hit you with the can, Larry Billy. Did. I saw it. Oh, get out of here. You're sorry. And Oh, come he on now, Billy. Yes, Billy. Yes. Yeah, Billy. Turned around, he saw Larry yes. Oliver with the garbage can. Now he's got the kendo stick on. Oh, no, 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 I can't believe this. Hey, I can't believe yes. he's just a tenth yes. rip. Yes. Rip knows it. Yes. Larry gets to hit him with the garbage can. I can't believe that Billy would think that Larry yes. would attack him with the garbage can. Yes. Come on, Billy. For crying out loud. No, no, Rip falls across his son, and he takes the that hey, kendo stick Billy across Jack the back. They don't even care, Carl. They don't even care. Right. He just hit Rip What is stick. happening here? And look at the wrecking crew. They're sure they're they're cheering Billy on. Say, go get him, go get him, Billy Wait, Jack Hayes. He's going up, God. He's going oh, I up. I can't believe this coming down. A hard smash. He's got the candlestick. He's attacking Rip and Larry. I can't believe what I'm seeing out there. Billy, you were victimized, but it wasn't by Larry Oliver. You were attacking the wrong man out there. Shut up. Hey, Bill, what's the matter with you? Shut up after eight years. Just shut up. Everybody, shut up. You see what Oliver's son's got in him, really? He's got Oliver blood. He didn't. He hit me from behind. No, he did not. With that daggone garbage can. Don't tell me he didn't. He did not, Shut up. You just shut your mouth right now. What's the matter with you? Just shut up and hold the mic. Go ahead, look at me. Go ahead, get carried out of here, punk, like you did to me several times. How's it feel? I'm looking at you right now. Everybody in this stinking state, shut up for eight years. For eight years I wore Oregon on my tights. All over the world, when I was down, I wore Oregon. But where were you people when I was down two years ago? Nowhere. When I was down, you didn't give a damn, did you? Nobody did. See this organ? You can stick this organ right up your That's all I care. Shut up, I said. Shut up. I am sick and tired of saying shut up. You see this? You see this? You see where it says Oregon? For eight years, man. I had a gym in Oregon City. You didn't come, you fat pigs. You didn't support it because you're all out of shape. Every daggone one of you is out of shape. When I was down, needed some money, you never were there. Including you, cuss. And everybody else. Go ahead, Oliver. Your little kid wants to play with the big boys. Well, I'm the big boys. Now, you know what it feels like to go out in a stretcher, don't you? I got three words 
to say to this state, everybody out there, you're supposed to support me. Yeah, stick it up your butt too, punk. All you little juicers, you like ninja wrestling, huh? I got three words to say for Oliver's. I'm taking you out. I should have a long time ago. And three words for the state of Oregon. Kiss my Billy, what? What's wrong with this guy? Hey, I used to respect this man. I used to call him my friend, and just in a matter of moments, the man's gone berserk. I don't know, I don't know what, what Oregonians he's talking about. I'm proud to be an Oregonian. I'm proud of these people. I can't. This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. says I just whipped your ass. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Woo! Look at this. What is going on there to the PWC ites, the big Vito ites, the Hameen ites, all those ites, left, right, well, well left ites, right ites, all the ites, mid ites, I don't know, you know, centrites, I don't know, there's a lot of ites out there, you know, there's a thesaurus full of ites right there, and what the hell are you doing with your hoodie? See, this sometimes for the Podbeam reflection ites, they don't know what's going on here, for the YouTubers, you're lucky to see all this, you know, buffoonery going on here if A-Track Brown uploads this. But that's neither here nor there. But anyways, welcome, Reflectionites. Welcome to the Magnificent Seven. Welcome, Elite Eight. Don't kill me, man. I, I'm, I haven't done nothing to you. My goodness, I got I got a family. I got I got little professors out there. I got baby mamas to take care of. But anyway, neither here nor there. Magnificent 7, Elite 8, Naughty 9, Terrific 10, Essential 11, Tubular 12, you know who you are. Welcome to the PWR Podcast, the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast, here at the PWR Networks at Podbeam.com. And you know what, this week, last week we did the movie, but this week we do what we do best. This is why we're the kings of nostalgia, Reflectionites. We are the kings of going back in the time machine. We are the kings of old school. We are going episodic. 
And before I talk about this episodic episode, I must introduce myself because I am vain like that. I must introduce myself because I have a vanity complex and I am damn proud of it. I am the scholarly one. I am the also studious one. I am the also stupendous one. And I am the also glorious one. The only objective man in the IWC, YWC, the only objective man in this podcast, Elementary, your friend and mine, the Professor Chapelbert Cruz. And to my right on my screen, or maybe to your left on your screen, whatever the case may be, but on the other side of the spectrum, on the YouTubes, he is the liberal conservative, the conservative liberal, Mr. Iron Stomach One, Mr. Frankenstein, Mr. Dum Dum. And a dum dum duel, and it is its own. Mr. Wonderful Tommy Strong, aka the phenomenal Tommy Wonder. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I actually had a stressful day today, but it's all good. This is a nice stress reliever coming down here and doing this. Um, yeah. Don't let me let me get anybody out there knows I collect. If you today, let me tell you what I did today, Professor. Mm-hmm. Every time I go to Meyer, whether it's be grocery shopping or look for figures, normally I don't go there looking for figures. I just look when I'm grocery shopping. I finally found a box of WWE Prism cards by Premier or Panini. It's okay. the first year on Panini, which is ironic because I just recently found out the WWE shop was taken over by Fanatics.com, who runs NHL shop, NFL, NBA, and mm-hmm. MLB. Um, Fanatics is cornering the market. Run upper deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in two years, when this Panini deals up, WWE is probably going back to upper deck, which are these. Anyway, I spent forty dollars US on twenty-four cards that were in the same box that had four cards per pack, six packs. Not only did I not get a damn card worth a damn thing, I got a double. How'd you get a double in the same box? Zia Lee got two of her. So you got you got collector's edition Zia Lee. That's that's gold right there, Jerry. That's gold. But a lot of them say rookie card on them. Like I got uh, who's the girl with uh, El Fantasmo? Electra. Electra Lopez. Lopez. Yeah, yeah. I got her. I got uh, that little skinny chick that was with that redhead dude. They got released and he's in AEW now. Uh, Cora. Or Jade. Jade, yeah, I got her, Zia Lee. I got a few people I never heard of, so they must be some UK guys or something. Um, but I didn't get an AJ, I didn't get a Riddle, I didn't get an Austin Theory. Uh, obviously, there wouldn't be any Undisputed Eras, but I will never, ever, ever spend $40 on a box of cards again, ever. Well, you know, this is where you're supposed to do your due diligence. I'm not going to try to preach to you. I'm not going to try to educate you, but I educate the masses because I'm the professor. When you're going to collect cards of all of the mass quantities that you want to do, you know you're going to have to spend money, but you can't do it going to Walmart. You're not going to find it. You're going to have to find those professional uh, card traders. Yeah, those people who want to sell off their cards, you know, for double the price. But you don't need to do that. You have to get lucky. But, you know, the Walmart elite cards, whatever they're called, reflection ice, you know, maybe Zia Lee will be a moneymaker in, in due time, but they got a book right. Maybe Cora J will be the next AJ Lee, but they got a book right. 
maybe Electra Lopez will be a, a moneymaker, but they got a booker right. So, you know, TW has faith in, you know, the ever-exalted ruler, Vince, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Have faith in Nick Khan. Have faith in John Laurinaitis and people power. Maybe these people that you collected in this card edition will be moneymakers in years to come. But with that being said, TW, and you got, what is that? Oh, Triple H on the left and Batista on the right. Yeah. See, those are moneymakers. Those are collectors. One's a legend. It's only a target, Batista. Mm -hmm. One is fan appreciation only on a Amazon. And the fans had to choose. Let me tell me, tell me which one you would have chose. Your choices were Survivor Series 06, Triple H, King of the Ring 2000, Triple H, or Super Showdown 2018, Triple H. Uh, King of the Ring. That was 28%. The Super Showdown was 23%. i am assuming that's when he teamed with Sean. Mm -hmm. That was already almost four years ago. Yeah. Yikes. And the winner at 49% was the Survivor Series. And I didn't do that with the Warrior, but I got to do it now. Mm -hmm. Your choices were Survivor Series 90, SummerSlam 89, or WrestleMania 6. WrestleMania 6. Closer than you thought. WrestleMania 42, Survivor Series 90, 37. Is 90 the ultimate where Ultimate Warrior Hogan and Tito were the last three? Yeah. Was that red, white, and blue gear that night? Yep. Yeah. They made enough red, white, and blue him, though. Yeah, that's why I like the WrestleMania 6 one. That's the ultimate challenge one. So that's yeah. a better one for, for the professor's uh, taste. Looking around here, I got one, two, three versions of that. Of course you do. I have the Jack version, and he's got his chest painted with the warrior thing on it. But that one comes with both belts, the yellow icy belt and the... Uh, the other world title. Oof. But enough about my toys. Let's talk about our show. You you you, you call it toys? My goodness, you get mad at me when I say toys. I found big toys. Some kid somewhere is playing with them. I actually found a couple pictures of me yesterday. I was going to mm -hmm. bring these pictures up anyway because of the irony in what we're talking about later. Uh, I, however, found these pictures of me where I'm like 11 or 10 or 9 years old. Playing mm -hmm. with wrestling figures. I got Hulk Hogan with Roddy Piper in the Tombstone pile driver in my lap. And someone took a picture of me, and I just look at him. I'm a little kid, man. I'm like 10 years old. Yeah, eight, well, 86. They, they, they were invading your privacy. They were invading your imagination. I was 11 or 12 because it was 84, 85 those figures came out. Actually, I can look at Hulk Hogan's foot, but I don't care. No, it would have been 85 or 86 because 84 is when Hulkamania was born. Mm -hmm. Then there's a picture of me as an adult where there's beer cans and shit everywhere, and I got all the WCW Galoob figures, and I got Flair and Sid Vicious wrestling each other on the floor while my buddies were playing video games. I'm like, what the fuck? My, my, you heard that reflection, I see. He was playing with toys was, with, right when he on. drank some beer. When he drank beer. So he had, they're right there on that shelf. Right there is my Galoob yeah. figures. You but had a little vice. That's I don't okay. call them dowels. People that call them dowels want to get shanked. That's all. Okay. I'm toys. This is a debate. This is one of the strongest debates out there in social media, but neither here nor there. We have to do what we do best here on the PWR podcast. We go nostalgia. We do episodic episodes, and I picked a doozy because, again, 
The beauty, TW, of the PWR podcast is I find things that people either A, never heard about, B, don't realize was a, was a, was actually true, but I picked Pacific Northwest Wrestling from April of 1990. And people don't know what Pacific Northwest Wrestling is, TW, but this was a harbinger for National Wrestling Alliance when the NWA was in its heyday, when they had the power, the power, you know, clamp on the United not States. 1990. Well, not in 1990. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I'm just giving the history of Pacific Northwest Wrestling, Portland Wrestling, that was owned by Don Owens for all those decades up there. But TW, you know, you just said it. It, it wasn't in 1990. That is true. But Portland Wrestling was, you know, it, it was a vehicle for the territories. And this is TW. Before we even talk about Portland wrestling and we, before we talk about the business end of it in 1990, because, again, 1990 was the dying days of the territories. But when people tell, ask the professor, professor, what do you prefer in the, in the world of wrestling? Do you, do you like the indies or do you like the territories? And the professor will always answer this. And I'm not shy to say this. I'm not have no disrespect to people who wrestle under under the indie banner or the indie circuit because you got to travel you got to hustle you got to make your money tw like you did all the you know trucking along in the detroit area the ohio area and all points in between but the professor prefers territories why do i prefer territories tw minute uh memphis is a great example of a great territory that lasted for decades saturday mornings at their memphis studios we can talk about even WCW with center stage in Atlanta, GA, but they were a national powerhouse. But we the Omni later on that night. And the Omni, too. But Portland is the same thing. St. Louis is the same thing. A territory has a territory has a reputation. A territory has a legacy. A territory, I think, maybe for the fans I see that I'm trying to I'm trying to explain this to you from a fan's perspective. You probably can, you know, retort back from a wrestler's perspective because, again, you're making your name no matter what within the wrestling uh, world, the wrestling bubble with uh, agents, bookers, other wrestlers who are probably, you know, made it to the big times. They say, oh, man, I see Tommy Wonder. Maybe we could give him a call up to do a dark match. But I'm talking as a fan. When you hear Portland wrestling in its heyday, maybe in the 80s, the 70s. Don Owens is owning, is owning and operating that. And you see the Portland people coming up, you know, the wrestlers that came. Roddy Piper was a man who was in Portland wrestling. You even saw people, we've got to talk about the people that were in Portland wrestling in 1990 that became bigger stars in other places. But we'll talk, But I'm just saying, when you had that NWA banner under that Portland wrestling, TW, that's a legacy, man. That's a reputation. And you take it serious. So whoever's the Pacific Northwest heavyweight champion, that's a number one contender to fight, let's say, Ric Flair or Harley Race or Terry Funk or Dory Funk when they come to that town. It's so big. It's so prestigious. Just like Memphis, just like St. Louis, TW, the territories bring more prestige, more value. What say you, TW, about the, you know, the debate of indies and territories? Well, they're basically the same with one exception. Mm-hmm. The modern day, you can't have territories. You just can't, can't because... Mm-hmm. Everybody knows everything immediately. So, mm-hmm. what I did like about the Indies, I'm sorry, about um, the territories was that Ric Flair came to town. Everyone knew who Ric Flair was, right? You had your mm-hmm. thing going on there. When Flair came to town, he wasn't 
Ric Flair the bad guy, and if he went over to Maine, he was Ric Flair the good guy, and if he went down to Florida, he was the Black Scorpion. He was Ric Flair, the World Heavyweight Champion. I liked the consistency of it. And what I did not like about the Indies in the beginning was um, and a perfect example of that is Ring of Honor and Pro Wrestling Hollywood or Gorilla Hollywood, whatever that's called. Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Where we talked about how Adam Cole was a bad guy in Ring of Honor, but a good guy in... Oh, you Pro- got it reverse. It was bad okay. guy in PWG okay. and good guy right. in ROH. Yeah. And so if and that's a perfect example of stuff where when, in the beginning of that, yeah, it might still be tape trader-ish, but there was still some kind of digital version of it to be seen to confuse you when you see Adam Cole and think, well, why is he like that here and not there? So it's almost breaking kayfabe, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why is he such an asshole there and such a pretty boy baby face here? Which could easily be explained away as like, well, he's new here. He's trying to get in by the rules. And eventually he'll be a heel because he find out people here are better than him, whatever. So, but as a wrestler, even though don't kid yourself, a territory isn't wrestling in Memphis. I'm not saying you, I mean, Mm -hmm. people listening, you don't wrestle in Memphis every night when you wrestle in the Memphis Territory. In Memphis, you're going to wrestle in Memphis on Saturday night, but Friday night you might be in Arkansas, and you might be in Alabama on Sunday. And, and Sunday on Monday or whatever. You're going to yeah. be in Kentucky on Sunday afternoon and Tennessee on Sunday night. So you did travel. Don't be confused. Mm-hmm. And you were in a yeah. car doing it. Um, however, as a wrestler, I would have prepared or prepared, preferred the territory because I would at least had a central – place of origin to stay and live and then you, you had a loop you had that loop you had a loop and you pin you pinwheeled sunflowered off of that whereas mm-hmm. as an indie wrestler i know yeah i did most of my wrestling in midwest but i could have reached out to texas i could have reached out to california i could have reached out to um new york but the problem is since it's just me myself and irene there's no one scheduling perfectly for me to start in new york and work my way to california wrestling all the time like you could on the indie or the the territories back then because you could do that if you weren't signed to a territory you could get a booking in a territory in their town maybe do a couple of them and then work your way over to the next territory just to do jobs right you're not you might not even be featured there but with the indies now you, you could literally wrestle in new york on saturday night and have to immediately get on a plane and wrestle in la on sunday or Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, right? And that kind of sucks, right, for the wrestler. But if someone's paying you to do it all, hey, God bless you, do it, you know? I mean, what's his name, Will Ospreay? I don't know how to say his name. Will He's in Japan mostly, but I, I gather he wrestles other places besides Japan. He so, wrestles in England for revolu- rev, rev Pro that's, Wrestling. That's all Europe. I was using him as an example because... But he he does his loop. He does Japan, and then he goes to England, and he has indie dates. Not indie dates, but bookings like that. I, I, but I'm trying to think of someone like like Dean Ambrose, for lack of a better term. He's wrestling for AEW, but every now and again I see he's wrestling in New Japan. So, yeah. But then he might come here, and then he wrestles at freaking Cleveland at that brutal wrestling, that G, G, C, GCW. So he's a guy who's all over the damn place, but they're paying him to do it because he was Dean Ambrose. John Moxley wasn't getting paid to do all that like he's getting paid right now, but he mm-hmm. was doing it before he made it as Dean Ambrose. So that's the kind of thing where you're really betting on yourself to be wrestling because I wouldn't doubt. I mean, you probably come home from J- Japan with some money because a lot of those Japan trips are two weeks long. So you're getting paid X amount of dollars every night for the whole two weeks. 
But if you're doing a one-off in Europe, a one-off in Spain, and or you know England, Spain, and then mm-hmm. go there, you're probably doing it for a hot dog and a handshake and hoping your merch sells so that you can make some extra coin. Because after you pay for your own travel, after you pay for your own hotel, you're you're spending what you're making. And if you're an idiot like me and Jeff Cavanaugh, you're buying toys on the trip too, and then you're really coming home owing money. So. Or, or maybe they're they're paying they book they're paying for the traveling on themselves and not giving you the the, the money up front. They, they, but they, I I prefer the the territories because I would I would even think as a fan, and I'm talking territories as they were, not right now. Mm-hmm. Territories as they were. You you only were watching this shit live, so it would have been awesome as a wrestling fan. To know they were coming once a month. To to maybe go to another town. Two hundred. The reason they were driving two hundred miles to the next show is because they were running the same show everywhere, right? It's just like today. They mm-hmm. had the same damn match in Louisville that they're going to have in Nashville, and they're hoping the same people aren't there. They might change it up a little bit, but it's going to be the same car, the same guys driving together, the same guys doing whatever. Which is nothing wrong with that. It's it's mass production, right? Um, but as a fan, I would love the idea. Like it still blows me away. I've talked about this on here before. It still blows me away that they filled that sportatorium every Saturday night in Texas. It's it's mind blowing to me because I don't pa- think that's I passion and fan base. That's that's not surprising right. if, if and, the product is good TV. enough. They had mm-hmm. TV, but they did it right back then. That's why we had squash matches. You watch the squash matches, and then maybe Kerry and Bruiser Brody bump into each other, one coming from the ring while the other's going to the ring, and that sets up the match at the Coliseum or Sportatorium that you're going to pay to go watch. So I-, I love it, but even I don't even think me in my heyday, I don't think I would sacrifice one day a week every week to always go watch wrestling. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. for them to consistently draw like and that place looked like it held some people and then they had that those big matches on the baseball diamonds where there's 30 40,000 people there um it's it's just wait are you, you talking about war class no it was the yeah. cotton bowl okay the combo it was outdoor yeah. what i'm saying mm-hmm. it was but it was still full and not mm-hmm. like for a football game and, full and, for and, and i'm sure portland did the same thing they probably had a you know a baseball diamond like you're talking about they did their 10,000 and stuff like that that's the str- that's how strong but a that, those days is. are gone. That, that, that yeah, those days are tv ceased to exist yeah there's no way you can go back to that and right. that's you can't go back to that because a social media b right. cable streaming services everybody and you got to and you got to Cell phone reflectionites. So, what what do you do with the cell phone? You take pictures. What do you do with a cell phone? You tweet. So you're already giving out all the news of a wrestling show that no one's really supposed to see, or you're giving out the news of a wrestler that's appearing that maybe from WWE or AEW. So you're ruining the the fan experience because you're trying to be the first one to break the news. So that's why the territories cannot last in that loop in this heyday, like in the '80s, in the '70s and '80s. But now, T.W., let's talk about Pacific Northwest Wrestling, Portland Wrestling from April of 1990. Now, we could talk about the presentation. Again, this was probably a gymnasium. This was probably a high school. 100, 200, 300 people the most. But there's still kids. It's a family atmosphere. You know, the presentation, when I look at it, with Don Cass as the the traditional, you know, ring announcer, the traditional play-by-play guy, and then he had... Reflection Ice, he had a color commentator who becomes a wrestling icon, a wrestling legend, 
but here he's known as the New Jersey heartthrob Scotty the Body. You might know him better as Raven, so it was kind of funny. You know, the, the funny thing about Territories, TW, is that it looks so hokey, and, and this is Memphis, this is like world-class, it looks so hokey with the with the, the heels. They, it's not about they got scripts, TW. You always say this with WWE, they, they hand you a script, but sometimes, when, even with Scotty the Body or Raven, whatever you want to call him, TW, he was trying to think off the top of his head how to be a heel, or what say heelish thing. It came off so corny, but I was laughing at it. What right. do you say about that? I mean, we don't, I mean, Don Cass, I'll say this if you want to talk about Don Cass too. When I say traditional play-by-play guy, but remember in the 70s and the 80s, this is the one thing I hate. And I'm glad they don't really do this, but, you know, every play-by-play commentator, TW, I don't care where you were in the 70s or 80s, had to look like they were getting married and they were wearing the fucking tuxedo. They were the ones that were sweating their balls off in 150-degree armories and gymnasiums. But they look happy and chipper, but it just didn't look – I didn't feel it. I didn't care about it when I was a kid because it it didn't matter. I was there to watch the wrestlers. But looking at it right now, when I saw this episode here, I was like, damn, this is so annoying that these play-by-play announcers have to look like they're getting married. What say you, TW, about the commentary duo? Ring announcer, too, would always be in a tux. Uh, I can tell you what probably is the most likely case. Um, Even guys like Bill Dundee. A lot of these guys are car salesmen, dude. <laughs> They're coming straight from work, and he's looking happy because he's not hawking cars. He's doing his passion, which is ring announcing or, or play-by-play. But they were always trying to look professional. I mean, Howard Corsell wore a suit. Um, at Michael Buffer, uh, which by the way, Michael Howard Corsell wore a blazer, but not a tuxedo like he was right. looking no, to get no. married. And I'm trying to think, doesn't doesn't Michael Cole wear a suit still? I think he looks like a more of a suave. I don't see now. I'm gonna act homoish, but he looks like a suave model. But he does not. He's not to the to the point. He's I not, love how you said act. He looks. Like we're just he, about to be yourself. He looks like a. He looks like he's a Wall Street investment banker. Not not like getting married. I'll give you that. Bow tie like Vince McMahon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. It's a tie, not a bow tie. I'll tell you what I hate nowadays. What's that? Talking to you, Charles Woodson. These dudes wearing them damn fucking infinity scarfs and calling it uh a scargo or whatever the hell they call that ascot whatever the hell it's just it's dumb like i i i hated the bow tie phase that i think we've grown out of that Farrell williams is that his name he he was wearing Pharrell? a bow Pharrell. he which he wore it first so at least give him credit that he was the only dumbass wearing a bow tie but then all of a sudden everybody's wearing one and wearing floods with orange leather shoes that are just brown, that they're so brown they're orange. It's just like, I, I, you know, there's something to be said for the guy doing it first. But the, mm-hmm. if I'm the guy doing it first, I'm doing it to Peacock. And the second it becomes a trend, I ain't doing it no more. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of that shit. So, but mark my words, you will never ever ever see the king of the nighttime world in an ascot because it just it looks like you like getting choked from behind by Bubba, and that ain't me. That if that's you, that's great. It's just mm-hmm. ain't me. But yeah, so but those guys. Uh, I thought what you were gonna say was, um, I hated that all the color guys or commentators, play by play, they were always pro babyface. I get the logic; they're pro keeping the rules and keeping the traditions and keeping whatever. But it it just morphed into for I hate this term, and it's been being used a lot on the hustle page. 
they become marks for the fucking baby faces. Not real life marks, but on the, you know, like, happy to see them and blowing smoke up their ass. And then they argue with the heels. And I get it. It's good versus bad or whatever. But... Well, that was, one of the, that was one of the first formulas, especially in the 70s and the 80s, that I kind of saw. It was like Vince McMahon did it religiously. Uh, David Crockett did it religiously. Pro Babyface. Mark Lawrence from World Class did it religiously. And Don Cass here at Portland Wrestling did it religiously. Loved the Babyfaces, hated the heels. I was It was the norm. I was normalized to it, so I didn't hate it. But what you're saying, I agree totally 100% that you wasn't like, you know, calling it down the middle like the professor. And you were kiss assing. Yeah, he was kiss assing it. So, you know, you I get it that it was it was so like, you know, kiss my ass club for the for the baby. Something face happens on this show. I don't know if Don Cass is the guy who also does the interviews. That's probably the same guy, right? Yeah, that's the same guy. Or he gets mad at Billy Jack Haynes. He's like, that guy was oh. my close friend up until a couple minutes ago. And I'm like, see? He's already going from I like you, but now you're clearly a heel. I don't like you no more. And it's like, again, I get it. And at the end of the day, it's kind of like we're going to take it back to today. People are giving Corey Graves and Michael Cole shit for what they said on wrestling about Sasha and Naomi. But what people fail to realize is that's their job. They're supposed to say that. So you getting mad at them, it's just you. Again, I hate this term, and it's not supposed to be a derogatory term. Mark. You're just being a mark for them. You know, at the end of the day, period, they have to do their job and taking it back to Memphis or Portland. He's he in case the fans aren't getting it, because it's kind of weird how Billy Jack does what he does. Yeah, we'll talk, he's we'll talk about that. You know what you're supposed to do. He's mm-hmm. telling the fans, don't cheer for Billy Jack anymore. Boo him. And so you're you're the relay of the message. You're the, the relayer of the message. So I get it. But. As someone, you and I, sitting here in our 40s, thinking of ways we can make it kayfabe again, which we're never going to ever do, we're thinking, uh, well, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that, because it looks too formulatic, and it looks too obvious that you're leading us to cheer for good guys and bad guys. And again, even as a kid, I don't know if I cheered for heels because I felt like I wasn't supposed to, and I don't, because my buddy sent me the Mounties ring music today. Me and my two buddies sang the Mounties ring music to him the entire match, word for word, the whole thing. Told the story before, and he, he did this to us, and then he turned on us at the end. Because he's a heel, he's supposed to. But I just ended up liking heels because I just thought they were cooler, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Like there's that, that that was that was you in your teen years, not right. in your not yeah. in the As a baby preteen. Not even, not, I like it. Yeah, there's that show Evil. Is that what it's called? WWE Evil. Yeah. So where Paul Heyman says, "Do you think the baby face is interesting and likable?" Because I don't, and I I agree. There, if you're coming out slapping hands and kissing babies, and, and mark my words, nobody wants to do that. That's what you have to do as a baby face, right? Whereas the <laughs> other tried and true indies. Uh, um, indies or territories, the other tried and true thing to do when you are introducing people is you send out a heel to piss everyone off so that no matter who else comes through that curtain next, they're going to get cheered. And you don't have to go out and kiss fucking babies and shake hands. I'll high five. I don't mind that. I mm-hmm. hate though, just getting all touchy-feely with shit, which we can thank COVID for putting an end to because COVID, people are fist bumping now. So that's a good thing. Okay, well, you you got to find some positive with the COVID nineteen pandemic, but <laughs> but with again, you're, you're right with the 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 Don Cass and basically every wrestling announcer being a mark for themselves and a mark for the baby faces. But let's just look at it from the presentation. Well, well, let me just 
give a summary for Portland wrestling. It lasted until 1992, the original Pacific Northwest Wrestling Reflection Nights. It lasted for about 40, 50 years, give or take. It stopped for two reasons. One reason was Vincent Kennedy McMahon's expansion of the WWF. They were already ruling the terror, you know, ruling the United States. So really, again, territories were fizzled down to only Memphis by that time. Number two, it wasn't. And this is not even a Vince McMahon thing. This was a Portland thing. Portland's State Athletic Commission started uh, charging more for certain events and started putting the kibosh on professional wrestling. They overcharged them insurance-wise. Who do you think made that happen? Hmm? Who do you think made that happen? Bush. Bush did it. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Well, he called it sports entertainment. So then, you know, when other people were trying to say wrestling is real, then Portland was the only state to really use their state athletic commission and really went mob stop. What say you, TW? What? Remember I told you the pictures I found? Okay. I found the very last year. I don't know what happened to 94 or 95, but I found my 1996 Michigan State of Michigan Athletic Commission license to wrestle. Okay. So Michigan had it, and we used to have to have a doctor at ringside. Mm -hmm. uh, they were supposed to check our pulse and our blood before we went to the ring to make sure we weren't having high blood pressure. Uh, I think they did that in my first year in the business, and I never saw it again. And then by 97, we no longer had to do it. And But what I'm saying, so what Vince McMahon would do is Vince McMahon would – kind of nudge these athletic commissions to get rid of, to make it hard for people to run shows. And uh, what happened, I want to say, I don't know if it happened or if people wanted it to happen in the 2000s. They, they wanted to start making uh, promoters carry insurance because we'd be wrestling on these shows, A, with no insurance, and B, no waiver signed, right? So one of my old tag team partners, Mike Legacy, he went to do uh, – like sit on the top rope, you know, you like you pull up and sit on the top rope and do a backwards moonsault from okay. a springboard moonsault from your sitting down. Like you stand, sit, springboard mm -hmm. off. And when he did that, the back of his knees landed on the rope instead of his thighs. So instead of bouncing up, he fell and went Donkey Kong right into the concrete floor. Literally head first, boom, lucky to not die, lucky to not get paralyzed, got concussed. Um Everyone screamed in the back. I remember hearing the, the reaction from the crowd, and I'm sitting in the back. Legacy gets help to the back. He sits down, and Al Snow yells at me, Tommy, don't let him fall asleep, and runs out of there. Because I was the only one sitting in the locker room. I think my match was over, so I was mm -hmm. getting dressed or whatever. And I look over, and I go, Mike, what happened? He's like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And he, it was like he was fighting off tears, right? But it wasn't from pain. It was from confusion. He had no idea where he was or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the promoter comes to the back. Al was running out there to get the ambulance to come get him because this was immediate, man. They called 911 right away. He didn't bust his head open either. I don't think he was bleeding. Um, and this is before we were attacking partners, so there's a happy ending. He didn't die. Uh, right. So they put him on this stretcher. They cone his neck, everything. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I was mad at ML Curley for years. He was a guy that wrote a column to Detroit News every week, and he picked on Legacy for some reason because Legacy would get in the ring and say he was better than Sabu, just as a gimmick, right, like to heal the crowd. So 
this this guy M.O. Curley was talking shit about him, so that's why Legacy was trying to do moves like that to shut up M.O. Curley. He got hurt over it, and I, I just wanted to fight the guy. And then he went to prison for child molestation, so fuck that guy. But anyways, okay. Mike Legacy gets in this ambulance. The promoter says to him, I'm paying for everything. Don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. This ambulance takes him to Taylor Hospital. Problem is, he's Canadian. They can't work on him. He doesn't have Canadian... He doesn't have U.S. health insurance. So then they put him in another ambulance and take him to Canada. The ambulance ride alone from Taylor, Michigan to the hospital in Windsor, Ontario was $1,000 U.S. Guess who didn't pay for it? The, the promoter. promoter. Of course. Yeah. Because he didn't have no insurance, and he definitely didn't think it was going to be no thousand dollars. He probably thought it was going to be, uh, back then, a twenty-five dollar ambulance ride, and like a couple hundred bucks for some pain meds and and whatever else. And it ended up being thousands of dollars, and Legacy was on the hook for all of it. Luckily in Canada, it was all free because they have free health insurance. But he had to pay the, the ambulance and and whatever they did to him in Taylor, which is uh, bullshit. Don't tell them you're going to do it, and then don't. And but that's what I'm saying. So now. I think it is. Not. I think wrestling shows now they have to be insured, and if they get caught wrestling and they're not insured, obviously, varying states don't have that. Right. Then they get in trouble. But um, it, it's but, it's but it's, you you say you but you're saying that Vince McMahon is the the culprit for this. But look at the result of it. No, no, no. Let me let me just say this, and then you can retort. The, because the end result is because of what Oregon's state athletic commission went with or their direction. WWF has never performed in Portland. They performed like once oh. in twenty in thirty years. Oh. They don't perform there because they don't. And, and it was the athletic commission themselves. And I'm going to yeah. tell you my theory. All right, I'm going to tell you my backup theory why that happened. Okay. Um, if, if I, it, because I know where you was going with this, but the truth is, I, WWF right. doesn't. Go I was speculating. There. I was speculating because mm-hmm. Vince did do that in towns in Canada. He did that, and you know he. No, I get. I get you. Go I get back. You. Dino Bravo ended up in the WWE because Vince was doing shit in Quebec to get Eddie yeah. Kingston and all those guys shut down, right? Like, right. just, I mean, it's dirty and business. Sam but, but and Sam Pete was too hard. So, you know, same right. thing right. with what he so, did. So, so here's, here's what I think happened, and we haven't even talked about the show yet. Uh, <laughs> Art Barr, who's, look, rest in peace. Maybe you won't agree with that when I tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. But this dude, and, and there is something to be said about his side of the story, but as the juicer, he was accused of raping an underage girl. And he also had a previous felony that he did not tell the athletic board. Because if you have a felony, you can't get a wrestler's license at that time in, in Portland. Mm-hmm. So he got it. And they usually were a one-year, at least they were in Michigan. And every year you had to redo it. So he got a one-year um license he might even have made it to the second year because i think he was in portland from 90 to 92 or three before he went to wcw for like a week um Mm -hmm. but what happened was he he plea bargained for this rape so he because he says that they his people urged him to take the plea bargain because it was no jail time like if he fought it he's looking at rape prison sentence which is but probably then he, but then he'd be on the he'd be on the registry for and he'd life. Be on the, well the registry probably didn't exist yet in 90 but but okay. he would be in prison for a long time mm-hmm. so his people were saying take the plea take the plea so he had to do like charity uh fucking community service all this other shit but his story and i think and i know this from having done this in traffic court when you are told by a lawyer or a cop to say say this 
And then when you say it, the judge is like, yeah, but what about that? I can't accept your plea if you don't do this. So he had to at least admit to something to take the plea. He couldn't mm-hmm. go up there and give his side of the story without saying I did it to get the plea, which okay. means he should have just fucking said nothing and just took the plea. But what his side of the story was, he had sex with the girl who wasn't, he was 19, she was probably 17 or 16, um, which, you know, as gross as the woke nation wants to make that sound, there's a lot of that going on today. There's a lot of that going on a long time ago. There's yeah, going to be a lot of, of that going on in the future because a 19-year-old is fresh out of high school and a 16 or 17-year-old girl is probably someone they were in high school with. It's no different than a senior and a, and a freshman hooking up. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm mm-hmm. saying that invisible line in the sand of 18 makes criminals out of people who aren't criminals. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. If the girl is the boy are dating, you know, I'm not saying the, if you the, were, the system is weird like, on certain things like that. Yes, I get yeah. you. So he said, yes, she didn't, she didn't, uh, I don't know what the word he was. Specify the age? Or no. He didn't consent to it, but he thinks if she would have went with him somewhere else, she would have. So her no was no, not here, not no, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was his out to be able to plea bargain uh, guilty. Because okay. if he doesn't admit to doing it, so that was his way of admitting it was she didn't want me to do it here. She wanted to do it somewhere else. And I don't know if she's a but, mark. But no, but no matter the cause, his reputation is stained no matter what. what? That's why he what? lasted a week in and WCW as producer. What they told him was if you go to jail, on top of him going to jail, they said you're going to leave a bad mark on the wrestling business in general, blah, 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 blah. So a year later when he went to get his uh, license, they revoked it. They told him mm-hmm. he can't get a license no more, and they said it was because you lied. and Because that plea bargain wasn't a felony. The mm-hmm. felony was for a drug possession when he was younger, 18. They said you lied on your things, didn't say you had a felony, you can't get it. Then, at some point, they probably turned it on to the actual promotion because they, helped, because they never took him off TV. You know how uh, MSK dude got yanked immediately, right? Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They still pushed Art Bar. Like, he had belts. And so the the state of, of Portland or Oregon was upset with them for not. That's, you know, a, good the, that, that's a theory I can accept because if, the, if, I, they, I, if they uh, were complicit on Art Bar's uh, past transgressions or regressions, right. whatever you want to call it. And didn't punish him. And, and didn't punish him. Then they had to be punished with whatever the rules of the Oregon State Athletic Commission. So that's it. I'll get with that one. That's why I said the Vince McMahon one. I can't believe right, that was me. Just based he on he's done it before in right, other places. Right. Because the end result is he hurt himself. He hurt himself because he right. can never make Portland money because he hardly goes to Portland. He's only done it like once or twice within a thirty-year span. That's how bad it is to do a Portland thing because he's not paying all that. He's not paying for doctors. He's not paying for you know, to be around the Oregon arenas, wherever there is. So neither here nor there, Reflectionites. So let's get on with the show here and the cast of characters before we get on to the meat and crust of this. Is that why AEW hasn't gone there yet? Because that's the whole thing about Daniel Bryan now. They're not letting him do the indie show in Seattle because they want him to be returning there with them. So that would make sense. They're holding him for, or, or oh no, that's Washington. That's yeah, that's not Washington. Even Man, yeah, that, that's up to Tony Khan to book a, a place in Washington for uh, Daniel Bryan to make his homecoming. So there's so. no headache like Portland. It's just Seattle. No, 
I was thinking yeah. for some reason I'm thinking Seattle and Portland were the same state, but I realize. But you can, but you get it because the loop of Portland wrestling, you go to Washington and you probably do a couple of places Hoover. in California around there, so you stay up in the West Coast in that that region. Reflectionized, so it is a great money making territory if you do that loop of Washington, uh, Oregon, uh, what else? Uh, Idaho, What's Vancouver. Vancouver, you could do the Canadian loop too. You can add it, so you can make Canadian money. So, with the cast of characters here, uh, TW, with this, you know, there's a who's who, and we'll talk about the the meat and the crust of the show because there's one angle that really resonates with me because it's very memorable. Start to finish, for... it's the whole show. <laughs> yeah, so the cast... two the whole show. Right. So we talked about Raven, who was a color commentator to Don Cast. So you know, it's. TW, put a bow on Raven. Like, look at how young and 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 full of life and this this mold of clay. Because he, he hasn't refined, he hasn't found that character in himself yet. He's going with what he's seen on TV. He's going with what he's probably seen on WWF television or NWA television, or just knowing when you get into the business. Because he did the Memphis stuff. He was uh, he was aligned with Eddie Hostop Gilbert. So of course. That's a great teacher. I mean, when he's not coked up, Eddie Gilbert's a great teacher, a great mentor. So Scotty Anthony, Scotty Anthony, or Scotty the Body, whatever you want to call him, TW, he learned from a lot of people. And, of course, he did a segment with another icon, Roddy Roddy Piper, who did a lot of Portland appearances. And it was a treat for the Portland faithful Oregonians to see Roddy Piper, WWF uh, Roddy Piper, to make an appearance that, you know, that's the beauty of the territory, CW. Localized TV, it was, you know, Dave Meltzer didn't ruin it for me. You know, he did it for them. It was for them. But what say you about Scott Anthony, Raven, just that young, impressionable kid? Hungry you're, you're not going to like my answer. But for all of you 12 listening right now, okay, Scotty Anthony, Scotty Flamingo, Johnny Polo, whatever you want to call him, not necessarily Johnny Polo because he was a manager, but this version of Raven is mm-hmm. a less talented MJF. That's what he was. Okay. He was a spoiled rich kid. Um, daddy's money. He was, you know, whatever, like the high school jock, the date rapist, you know, all the things that you could look at MJF and say the same thing about. Mm-hmm. That's what he was. Obnoxious, uh, entitled, um, all that stuff. But well, to be to be but he was foul. a champion, whereas MJF is serious. To be foul. I mean, again, he's young, impressionable kid trying to find a character for himself. And again, like I said, he was learning from a lot of people. So he didn't hone that. I I guess it, it's an easy it's an easy out for him to do that kind of character, the the young prick, the young high school popular, you know, jock whatever character, because it resonates that you know people will do this all the time. So again, I'm not saying it's a great character. He's the guy you hated in school, right? But I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a. It's a moneymaker quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'd say he's the tag along to the quarterback that gets the overflow of the quarterback, who everyone would hate if he wasn't friends with the quarterback, right? You, you, that, don't, I, you don't think he's the running back at least? The running back could be the sidekick. The okay. star is always the quarterback. Okay. Maybe I'm just saying kicker because you guys are always punting. But other than that, it would be the quarterback that's throwing TDs. Well, you're the tight end, so you know you well, you love it that way. I'm the wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> Did that for but, you? I'm always giving you the DM, Jones. I took one. <laughs> of course, 
But anyway, like I said, I, I, to be fair, I think, again, he didn't find that character. Again, when you find a character like Raven, that's the perfect mold of, of all the years of hard work into the business. Here, it was an easy fix to do the high school jock asshole. It's an easy thing. TW, but you can you, I, I guess it, it's a hindsight question, but this character you saw, Scott Anthony, did you see like potential? Did you see like what he would become in WCW with Scotty the Body or Scotty Flamingo? Did, did you see this character blossom and grow to some extremes in your humble opinion? I, I didn't see Raven, mm-hmm. but I did see potential. And you're going to laugh at this. I was disappointed when he was Johnny Polo because he was basically a manager and I think he did wrestle, but not like almost like Bobby Heenan. Like he wrestled mm-hmm. when he teamed with his team and I don't even remember his damn team. Was it Jack victory and somebody like it was like the Bushwhackers or somebody like that. Like it was well, a who, weird team. who was Johnny Polo managing? Yeah. The Blue the Brothers. No, the Quebecers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was thoroughly disappoint, disappointed because much like when I saw the diamond stud, and, mm-hmm. and Johnny be bad and um, Vinny Vegas, not Vinny Vegas. Uh, what was the one? No, Vinny Vegas. Yeah, that was his. That was his probably coolest WCW character of all the ones he had to do. Um, mm-hmm. But I saw I see title potential in those guys, and in the fact that he was a loud mouth, he had a good build, mm-hmm. and he peacocked. He wore bright pink, bright green, bright. You know, he did all the right things from 80s, 90s perspective to be booed and eventually be cheered. So I saw that in him. And to answer your hindsight thing, here's the hindsight. You and I are critiquing him right here, right now, 1990, in the year 2022. In 1990 and 91 and 92, when he ends up going to WCW, everything he's doing still works. We know he's stuttering and struggling. Mm-hmm. 12-year-old, 14, 15, 18-year-old us did not know he was struggling. It just, he might not have been as etiquette as some of those other guys, but it's kind of hand-in-hand. Guys like him who didn't talk that well but still got the message across eventually made guys like Mr. Perfect, Jake the Snake, and um, whoever else uh, better because it made them seem articulate, right? Mm -hmm. Like. But either way, you hated them both. Like, you, one, you just look serious. One, you just loathe. You know, you're like, I was afraid of Jake the Snake. I was afraid of Mr. Perfect. Because even though he cheats, we all know he, he doesn't need to. So he's even more dangerous because he can he can beat you with a skill, and mm-hmm. he's not afraid to cheat, and he'll tell you he's going to do it. So, and then Scotty Dabati, you were just like, oh, I hope he gets his ass kicked, right? But if he won, it would have just added to his annoyance. And mm-hmm. so I think... Back then, he was he was a good hand. He it wasn't bad. Right. The guys in the back would have thought like you and I are thinking right now, like God, he's got to get better, you know. But mm-hmm. to me, it makes it feel more real when a guy struggles to come up with his sand. However, Ron Oliver, what the fuck is the old man's name? That's the Rip Oliver. Rip Oliver, who's the job guy as far as I know in WWF. This dude, his son. I am not going to ask you why I haven't seen him since Portland because he's the drizzling shits and the, well, he kills Scott Flamingo with a forearm and that's the worst promo ever after. Gotcha. But well, since you actually brought it up, let's because this is the Oregonian uh, connection here or whatever, oreganos, let's call them the oreganos. But anyway, 
that might be because racist. it's Portland wrestling. We got to talk about the hometown heroes before certain things happen. You talked about Rip Oliver. You talked about his son Larry Oliver. Yeah, and you got to talk about the juicers, Beetlejuice, Billy Jack, and, and Little Juice, and of course Billy Jack Haynes. So TW, before we even talk about what happens in this show, because I want to talk about Billy Jack Haynes in a second, you talk about again the history with the territories, even in your own history of what you did. There's there's always this one regular within the indie within the towns. There's always this one regular that is the symbol of the, the state that you're representing. Devon Eriks represented world class. They represented Texas. Billy Jack Haynes represented Portland, Oregon with his trunks. And of course, the Olivers, I'm not saying they're Oregonians or the Juicers are Oregonians, but they were maybe hometown people within that. What say you about the hometown wrestlers? How, how valuable are they? Of course, not only to make money, until they rape somebody, they're they're <laughs> someone you can count on. We talked about this. Prince mm-hmm. wasn't afraid to put a belt on his kid because he knew his kid was going to show up. Mm-hmm. You put the belt on Gino Adams or, or Gino Adams, Gino Hernandez or Chris Adams, you don't know if they're going to make the show. You know what I mean? And that's probably why Fritz beat the shit out of his kids because they were afraid to let him down. You know what I mean? Like, but that's a whole other conversation. That's dark mm-hmm. side of the ring shit. But well, that, um, but 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 there's a difference because what you're saying with Fritz von Erich again, that's a family man, connection. Right. Memphis, Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Jarrett. There's a not a family connection, but there's a connection because business. They it's own a, that is a business, business connection. Forever. But here, but here in Portland wrestling, Don Owens owned that territory. Don Cass probably had some certain stake and power, but there's no family connection. Billy Jack Haynes is not a family connection because he left Portland wrestling to jump to Stanford, Connecticut and do a two year, maybe three year tops run with WWF. The Olivers to me are not like heavyweight championship material, but I know Rip Oliver was a Pacific Northwest heavyweight champion. And again, the juicers are tag team champions here, but TW that connection to me is lost. There's no business connection. There's no family connection. But there's your handpicked guy. And okay, okay. that brings to Windy City Wrestling. Windy City Wrestling is run by the guy's name's Chuck something, or I don't even know if that's his name. But okay. Windy City Wrestling is based out of Chicago, but I wrestled for him in Chillicothe, Ohio. Go figure. Um, the guy was just an old school carny, just, just, you know, just con artist, you know? Carney, mm-hmm. con artists, two different things, but both are, are in the car. And this you dude, talking about Tony Khan? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so what he did was he had a school. He had Windy City Wrestling School, and I talked about Christopher Daniels came out of that. I met Christopher Daniels wrestling for Chillicothe, Ohio, back in 95 or 6, whatever year it was. And he and that the guy I told you about, the, something Quinn, Kevin Quinn, the right. Asian guy. Those are the only two guys I ever seen make it out of Windy City Wrestling because Evil Vince is what they call this guy, the guy who ran, I think it's Paluzzo or something, Chuck Paluzzo, some shit like that. I read about him in the magazines, right? This guy basically trained you, then you wrestled on his show for free, Mm -hmm. and then he told you if you wrestle anywhere else, I'm going to get you blackballed in the business. You only wrestle where I get you booked. And then he didn't book him anywhere, and he never made any money. Anyway, right. Oh, the turbos, the, the twin turbos, WCW. Okay. The guy I wrestled was one of the twin turbos. He was the champion, and I bought him because I replaced Chris Carter. But other than that, every guy there, homegrown, st- student of the school, 
held against their wishes, so they were afraid to leave, right? So mm -hmm. they, you put your belts on them, they're going to show up because you own them, right? But also, there's just, like, I would assume, like, like my timelines are all messed up. Like, you said it best. 1990, Billy Jack Haynes has already been in the WWE as Billy Jack Haynes because his main feud was with Hercules, and Hercules was at WrestleMania 2, so that's 85, 86. So, obviously, 87. No, I'm saying the mm -hmm. the beginning of WrestleMania is 85 and 86. So mm -hmm. Billy Jack Haynes being there in 90, that means he's back from being the executioner in WCW on top of it because he went right from WWF to WCW. Mm -hmm. No, the executioner is 91. Okay, okay. So it's after Portland's going belly up because Hercules yeah. also went there as the invader or whatever he was, and they mm -hmm. both had these blatantly obvious builds and were wearing masks with no eye holes. They almost mm -hmm. had the same mask, but one was red and one was black, and they were bad guy job guys basically. And uh, so, but just to answer your thing about Portland, I knew who Billy Jack Haynes was before he came to WWE because he was in the magazines. He was yeah. always the number one contender or the champion in Portland. They let him talk about Portland on TV all the time, and mm -hmm. and so, but not Portland wrestling, but. Even though back then they would tell you this guy came from the Portland wrestling, you know, whatever. They would say this guy came from the Portland region. That's the what they would region, say. Quebec region, you know, back mm -hmm. you know, territory days. But, yeah, everybody had their guy. So at some point it's got to be someone you trust. Like our our leagues around here, obviously, Indies and, and, and territories are the same with one big difference. Mm -hmm. There's 97 Indies in the same town in Detroit. Right. Back in the day, the territory, they were all the same promotion wrestling in this radius of here. Now, so what mm -hmm. I propose, just to put a pin in our in our uh not a the pin, but a cap in our our, our, our indie what I would like to see is indie shows work together, use the same guys, possibly the same storylines. Create a syndicate in the loop. A syndicate and they just bounce it around and do that so everything's consistent. If you do that, and all you AEW super freaks, you, you agree with me here. This is I, I don't think anybody disagrees we don't like this part of WWE. They'll have no choice. But when a guy makes his name that way in the indies, to call him that when he goes to WWE. Stop changing their damn names, right? Because that's all the guys you see in WWE with their real name. It's because they made something of themselves somewhere outside of there that they can't change his damn name, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to be the first to say, I don't know if anyone said it on the page, but I'm going to say it right here right now. I will take Max Dupree over L.A. Knight seven days a week and twice on Sundays. It's a way better name. I didn't like Eli Drake that much either, but Max Dupree is ten times better than L.A. Knight. And yeah. L.A. growing on me, damn it, but I still prefer Max Dupree. I, I, I well, I don't want to go into the 2020 deuce, but I find it hypocritical on certain people who are complaining about Max Dupree when they were initially complaining about L.A. Knight. So right. what right. the hell is you damn if you do it, damn it. Up. So. Fair. I have seen more people say it's a better name than L.A. Knight than people not say it. I've actually okay. seen I'll people say they like it better than Eli Drake. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah. But now with the Portland thing, again, the Olivers are hometown, and you actually said it, and the Juices are hometown, and we don't have to go with the Art Bar uh, rape allegations, but they are stuck 
where they have to be, where they, you know, they'll main event, they'll win the belts and all that stuff. But let's talk about Billy Jack Haynes because this episode is centered around Billy Jack Haynes for a segment. Why Reflection Ice? Because Billy Jack Haynes came back home, you could say, TW, to Portland because, again, he had a run in WWF from, I'm going to say, late 86 to early 88. And I'm being nice here because he... 89. He was probably still there a little bit in 89. No. No, he wasn't there. Where was he for a year? Portland. Oh, he went back earlier. Yeah, he went back early. But I'm just being nice on the WWF kick because of of TV purposes. Late 86 to early 88 before the... Because I think he did the... Before the WrestleMania tournament of Macho Man winning. But anyway, neither here nor there. But... TW, you, like you said, I knew a Billy Jack Haynes from the Aftermax. I knew a Billy Jack Haynes from the WWF. So when he disappeared, he disappeared. So I didn't, you know, again, the funny thing about cable is you and I were so happy about ESPN, right, TW? We get to see world class. We get to see AWA. But cable, you know, there was a downside to cable. I never got to see Memphis wrestling on Saturday mornings. And, of course, we couldn't see Portland wrestling on Saturday weekends. But Billy Jack Haynes comes back home and is teaming up with the Olivers. Rip Oliver and his son, Larry Oliver, who looks like Jack Victory with, with nobody. But, anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and they're going up against, in a six-man reflection nights, the, uh, what, is it the, the, war, the, the war machines? Ew. It is Brian Adams. The Equalizer, Dave Sullivan. Is that post-crush or pre-crush? Pre-crush. Okay. And I the, thought so. And the grappler who looks like somebody from the Mod Squad from the NWA days. I might be confusing who I think he is. He looks like he a is. fucking janitor. Stop being nice, dude. I'm, tr- I'm worst, trying. I'm trying. worse than Larry. No, 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 no. But I'm trying to give the Reflectionites a visual if they're hardcore fans. If you it's remember the NWA... Do you remember the NWA in the 80s? There was a team called the Mod Squad who looked like police rejects. He looks like one of those dudes. I'm not but saying worse. the grappler is. But worse. But, he looks like worse. a showered moondog. But, 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 T.W., what is apropos is you're seeing a future WWF star in Brian Adams here. You're seeing a future Hulk, Hulkamaniac in 1990. This is four years away. Dave Solomon is going to have one of the biggest runs He's of his Ebon. life. He's Ebon. Yeah. He's yeah. Ebon. He's going to be running with the big dog, Hulk Hogan, in a couple of years. So it's kind of apropos. But he, he looked better in the ring than he did outside. Outside of the ring, I just looked at him like he looked like, he looked like the King Dong logo, the little mascot for King Dongs. Mm-hmm. The king with the crown because he was the hockey puck-shaped donut. And right. that's what like, who's this clown? Then when he's in there, he's all ripped up and everything, looking like damn Bruiser Brody with blonde hair. I'm like. I think that's Kevin Sullivan's brother, Yvonne. And it was. So you were, yeah. And so he, he but that fucking mauler, dude. Okay, the grappler. Get it right. Get it right. He almost looked like Crush if he never worked out except for at a buffet. That was it. Right. Because he was shorter, but, same hair. But you could see TW with the territories. This is a great advantage. Like Memphis, Vince McMahon can scout. Jim Hurd can scout for talent. With these localized TV shows for for to see new talent, and Portland Wrestling had a TV deal, a TV studio, whatever the case may be. So you got to see untapped potential in Brian Adams. But it's not about the match, Reflectionites. It's about what happened in the match. 
Uh, long story short, I'm trying to be quick here, TW. Larry Oliver, uh, no, the grappler hits Billy Jack Haynes in the back with the garbage can while he was uh, he was applying the full Nelson. The crush. He was he was he was disoriented, confused, and Larry Oliver came in for the save. But then he was holding that dreaded garbage can. Billy Jack Haynes gets, you know, gets out of his concussion mode, if you will, looks at the Larry Oliver, looks at the cop at the garbage can reflectionites, puts two and two together, and he beats the shit out of the Olivers. He canes the shit out of Larry Oliver, and of course, the great, like, let's say Southern wrestling storyline, a father protecting his son. He he's taking the ass whipping for his son. He gets caned in the back. And you know he's taken to the hospital, but it's not that. After the after the the smoke clears, Billy Jack Haynes cuts the most scathing promo in Portland wrestling history. It kind of is CM Punkish, if you will, because you know it's funny. I'm not I'm not trying to give him the credit. It was a pipe bomb. It was a pipe bomb for one reason because you know there's a, there's a reputation for Billy Jack Haynes because he's a little bit crazy. If you hear his kayfabe commentaries, he says a lot of wild shit. But you know, some wild shit are true. Clintons do assassinate people, but that's neither here nor there. I don't want to get I don't want to get assassinated. But again, I'm not going with that. But TW, what he said was so pipe bomb-ish. He said, "F you to the Portland people. F you to Portland wrestling. You didn't support me when I was in the WWF. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't say that. But you didn't support my gym. You didn't support nothing. So yeah, I'm going to take." Six months and you guys never came to it. Screw you. And, and he's yeah, he said that. And symbolically, he always wore tights that had Oregon on his trunks. After that promo, I never saw. He took them off. He took them off and never represented Oregon. What say you about the impact of that? It's so infamous. Maybe it's so small and so localized. But if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, that was passion. That I remember that. What say you about what you saw with this? Let me just, let me rewind a little bit. What I Go liked ahead. about what I mm-hmm. liked about obviously again, I know kayfabe can never be again, but you it can be for kids, right? Until kids get smartened up. But what I liked about Billy Jack Haynes was because one of my biggest problems with wrestling these days, and I'm sure they've done it on AEW, WWE, and NXT. I don't like when a guy turns on a guy at the end of the match that he wrestled in, right? Like mm-hmm. me and you versus Ray and Ray, right? The the R&R connection versus me and you. And I get my ass beat by him. But at the end, when you go to tag me in, after you get your ass kicked by you, I laugh at you. They do a double pile driver, pin you. I get in, high five, and hug them, and we stomp the shit out of you like it was planned all along. Well, mm-hmm. why wouldn't I do that in the beginning, right? right. Back in the 80s, Guys would never tag in. That's how you knew Orndorff was turning on Hogan. He just never got in the ring and then turned on him, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. I don't know if that was specifically Orndorff. But that's what happened. Because otherwise, why would you side with a guy that just got to beating the shit out of you after you turned on your partner? Mm-hmm. Billy Jack Haynes, when he beat up both Olivers, still turned to fight Crush and Eva. He didn't join them. He was like, fuck you guys, too, and got out of the ring and then cut the promo. And then a little bit later on, this is the other promo or the angle that was going the whole time, was drawing your opponent's name out of the hat. And he did the most subtle heel Eddie Guerrero steal Ric Flair's vote from the Royal Rumble number, not vote, but entrance. When he had that chick who I think that was Tori something. 
the chick? Well, the, the name from Portland was Taylor Medina. Right, but she was in WWE for a minute. She was Tori. She looks like, it's not the same, it's not Tori. That's no, not Tori. I don't know it's not Tori Wilson, the hottest fucking diva of all time. I'm talking about her name was Tori. She might have been in WCW first and then went to WWE but something else. But anyways, um, she distracted Don Cass and Billy Jack went through the hat until he found the guy he wanted to pick and then pulled it. He goes, oh, I got a name out. I got a name out. And nobody really paid attention because Don Cass was arguing with... Uh, Taylor Corey. Medina. Corey, what's the, I'm going to look her up. Just, just call her Taylor Medina for Portland purposes. So I, I want to know who still be confused. But that's another caveat for this show, Reflection Ice. The, P, the Pacific Northwest Heavyweight Championship was vacant. So during the whole segment, people were drawing names out of a hat. And the, the tournament would start next week and it would last for the, next, for the month of April into May. But for Billy Jack's purposes, T.W., Again, you said it yourself. He manipulated Taylor Medina. He manipulated Don Cass and got the opponent that he wanted for the first round to, to you know, continue on to become the Portland heavyweight champion. And he picked Larry Oliver. You know, T.W., let's, uh, you know, the, the, the second generation wrestler thing, right? You mm-hmm. know, some second generation, third generation wrestlers, they make it. You know, Randy Orton. <laughs> Third generation makes it. Rock, eventually he makes it. Third generation. You know, Ricky Steamboat Jr. didn't make it as a second generation. Injuries. Da- David Flair, that that was a bu- that was a train wreck in itself. But Charlotte worked. So, Actually, you know. Technically, he made it, though. He was around for a long time. He, no, Eric he didn't Watts? make it. He, he, Eric that, Watts? Was, that, that, was, that was nepotism. Eric Watts was nepotism. Didn't work either. So, that's debatable from a fan st- standpoint. But T.W., you even said about Larry Oliver, he looked like you know a trucker that didn't belong there. He just, he just looked like the he looked like his father Ford. This looked like he Paris. Must, uh, this is child guy, abuse. Who's the guy that does? I can't. Uh, uh, the guy that runs Ohio, Ohio Les Thatcher. He looked like Les Thatcher. Okay, yeah, he does. But it, it looks like child abuse. He didn't look like he belonged in wrestling. Even the promo when he hit Scotty Anthony, you know, he hit him. At, he just doesn't fit with that. You know what I mean, T.W.? So what say you about that second-generation nepotism? Larry Oliver did not fit the mold. What say you? I never saw Larry Oliver again ever, right? Like, he, he almost looks like, to give him a look, a fresh out of high school, 18-year-old, still got his chubby baby fat, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, before he decided to work out. He looked like that. Or mm-hmm. like your quintessential job guy, already in the ring, Larry Oliver, who just gets mollywobbed and gets no offense whatsoever, whether it's a heel or a face match, um, just gets squashed. And that's why I think getting getting back to the whole having a guy, Don Owens, I have to believe Oliver is his guy. Like, he's his lawler to, to Jerry Jarrett, right? Hmm. Because why else would you book his kid and ascend him to the main event unless you trusted – the Olivers, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Art Bar, Sandy Bar's son, who's the referee, the referee in almost every match was Sandy Bar, mm-hmm. um, which when Art Bar came to WWE, not Art Bar, Jesse Bar, he was Jimmy Jack Funk, they referenced Sandy Bar as his dad. Not as his dad because he was supposed to be a funk, 
mm-hmm. they made reference of him being related to Sandy Barr because I or I read it in a magazine, one or the other. I knew who I Sandy think it was Barr a magazine. I think it was a magazine because of Jim, Jimmy Jack yeah. Funk, right? Yeah, I think um, it was a magazine. And so uh, he, you. <laughs> That you you're saying it nepotism. There is trust in the nepotism, right. but for well, me as a fan, nepotism comes from the have-nots. Will tell you it's greed that they just want to keep the wealth in their family. But no, because if you have a son that ain't gonna fucking keep your business going, you're not gonna give him the nepotism that you're gonna give the son who will. Right? Mm-hmm. Like okay. most rich people own companies, send their kids to the best colleges because they want their kid to keep the company going when you're done running it with an education. Right? So mm-hmm. I understand nepotism, especially in the wrestling business, when you're looking for okay, who do I, who do I trust to carry this on when I'm done doing it? And you see what happens. WWE is a perfect example. How many times over the last twenty years have Shane or Stephanie left the company? Because they were mad that Shane or Stephanie got more control than the other one, right? Shane mm-hmm. left for a long time because he's like, fuck it. You're giving it to Triple H and her? I'm going to go do movies, you know, whatever. Then he comes back. Now it's being more evenly distributed. And now she mm-hmm. leaves. So And Shane's already gone. So it's And now new, newly, appoint, newly appointed son Nick Khan is taking over. So right. it, neither here nor there. So I, I understand the nepotism. There is a trust factor. You know, again... Jeff Jarrett is a great example of nepotism in Memphis. You know, Jerry Jarrett trusted his son, but in that terms, he earned his strikes because, you know, he he wasn't booked to be the main event. Larry Oliver's booked in the main event. So he's booked in a hot angle with Billy Jack Haynes, if you will. That's that's my gripe. Just like Eric Watts, if you try to do it too fast, you know, again, if, if you pay your dues, that's one thing. I, I, get, I totally get you, TW, but right. certain things just doesn't mesh with the professor, if it's kind of like rammed down your throat, pushed down your throat of being, you know, I don't see Larry Oliver versus Billy Jack Haynes as a reason for me to pay 20 bucks to see that on Portland, you know, to go to Portland. Agree, disagree, have a different take. Absolutely agree. (laughs) Even if you're happy for him to come back, now him as a heel, pissing you all off, you might want to go see him get beat up, but I I would think we all agree that Larry Oliver or Rip Oliver, they're getting their ass beat by Billy. He's a monster at this point, right? You almost mm-hmm. got to turn Brian Adams babyface. But, him- but Rip Oliver's your hero, so you want to see Rip Oliver beat the shit right. out of he, Billy He's Jack their Haynes. lawler. He's their yeah. lawler. Mm-hmm. So, now, you talked about it. We talked about it a little bit. The the, the heavyweight title is, vague, is vacant here, so they were drawing names out of the hats. We don't have to go into the uh, semantics here, TW. But another name that kind of struck the professor in this episode, if you will, was NWA Stallworth, who was a jobber. Now he's in Portland wrestling, and he's given a little bit of a, you know, he's given a little shine here. He's given an, an opportunity. Is Ricky Santana, pretty Ricky. If you, that's what they call him, pretty Ricky Santana, you know. But, you know, to be fair, we got the better Santana in Chico Santana, Tito Santana, TW. So, you know, Ricky Santana, even though I don't, they're not related, but Ricky Santana can never get that, like, uh, that monkey off his back. Because probably every heckler would call him, you know, would say Tito's better than you. And they're, they're right. The fans are right. You know, Ricky Santana was never booked right. But at least here... This is a great example of the territories. Portland has a name, has a legacy, has a prestige. So if Ricky Santana is going to be in this Pacific Northwest tournament, you could believe that Ricky Santana 
be a world traveler, veteran, can actually win the whole damn thing? Or do you have a different take on that? It was such a jambalaya that when they were all pulling these things out of the hat, I felt like, wasn't the very first name pulled out Tito Santana? No, it was Ricky. Al Madrill pulled out. Al Madrill drew Ricky, yes. But he called him Tito, and then later on, Ricky. That was, that, but that's, that's me as a fan. That's what Ricky, that was Ricky's handicap because everybody heckled him because they called him Tito. They never respected Ricky Santana, so he can never, he can never excel in the rest, in professional wrestling because he was, he was side, you know, he was sidebarred because of Tito's successes and Tito's accomplishments and Tito's exposure. That's what I'm saying. He was a never, he was untapped potential, but he was a never was. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Right. He was a WCW job guy is what he yeah. was. He, he was. But, but he had an opportunity. Like, here. I got so confused over who's wrestling who. I actually do know who won that tournament. Who won? Curtis Thompson. Oh, yeah, that, that dude looked look weird. Who, by the way, okay, he's in the first match wrestling the fucking gumpiest version of Kurgan I've ever seen because it wasn't really Kurgan. Bill so, Francis, that was his name. supposed to be friends. Then I started thinking Bill Francis one, was one of them NFL players in the WrestleMania 2 Battle Royal, but then I realized I was thinking Bill Fraley because I'm like, hey, Bill Fraley. But yeah. anyway, do you know who I thought Curtis Thompson was the whole time I'm watching it, and I thought it was why you picked the show? Who? I thought it was Tim Storm. Like, I was convinced that it was Tim Storm. You know who he was? Who, he, who was he? No, no, he wasn't he the Trooper? He's Firebreaker Trip. Yeah, yeah, the, that's what... The Trooper is the Patriot, you jackass. But, you know what I'm talking about. Will, yeah. Listen, I'm about to... You're about to feel stupid as I feel. I okay. at least remember Tori, and I at least remember she was in WWF. Okay. She was Kane's girlfriend, and she was with DX. Jackie or something. Was it Jackie? Huh? Jackie she was, she was a she was in Ladies of Pro Wrestling as Terry Power. Oh, okay. And then she was Tor she was Tory in the WWE before Tory. Then you said no. I I said Tory, but you kept saying no. You said Tory Wilson. I didn't say Tory Wilson. I just said Tory. Oh yeah, Tory. But you said it like it was Tory Wilson. I'm like, no, she's not Tory Wilson. You assumed. So I the professor was right all along. But anyway, neither here nor there. But I said Tory first or Terry, whatever. <laughs> But either here or there, you, we, Curtis Thompson was in the, in the match, and they were trying to do another heel turn with him. But it, 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 the thing that was funny here, but let, let's put a bow on this episode because there was one segment that was another, not infamous, but it was for the Portland fans. It was an arm wrestling segment. Al Madrill hosted a talk show. I, I Poor man's Manny Fernandez, Al Madrill. What? You could call him that. I'm not going to disrespect the great name of Al Madrill, but he had a talk show called Garden Talk. So it was kind of racist. I don't know why. It was, it was kind of stupid. I don't know why they, they call it Garden Talk. But partners. money is money. But he did a talk show with Garden Talk. And Scott Anthony had an open challenge, if you will, for arm wrestling. He, he, he was offering $100 to any jabroni. But what, while he beat one jabroni, or a plant, if you will, Reflectionites, somebody came out of the crowd. The crowd was going crazy, and it was WWF superstar, Roddy. Oh, God, he did it again. Roddy, Roddy Piper. This is the fourth time in five episodes we're talking about Roddy, Roddy <laughs> Piper. But TW, it's such a big effing deal, especially in 1990 terms, because this is a WWF guy. Piper's Pit, 
Where did, did they live? This is April 1990, or 1990. He already did WrestleMania 6 in Toronto against Bad News Brown. So he's at, you know, he's probably given a couple of weeks off, you know, to mend his wounds. But he chose to go to Portland and do an angle with Sky Anthony. What's he about that? Because the that, this is a great example, Reflectionites, of a man who loves the business. Wants to, That's, you know, he, they're one he, of the ones that gave him a start, and and he he appreciates them. Stu Hart, he appreciated uh, the word you always say, T.W. Gratitude and giving back. It's giving he, back, and it's funny back. you say that because I it makes way more sense now that we've been doing this show for so many years now that I get it. Back when Piper was WrestleMania in '85, '86, '87, there they weren't contracts back then, right? He used to do Portland even when he was doing that stuff because I remember reading about Piper in Portland in the in the wrestling uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated or the Wrestler or mm-hmm. um, Inside the Ropes whatever the damn magazine Inside Wrestling Inside Wrestling I would read them all every fucking time I went to the store I looked for the new ep- new magazine it would have been a perfect world it would have been one out each week but they all came out the same damn time I go drop ten bucks on three magazines with the same damn stories. Yeah, and but the price, paid, the, but the price at least was always. But, he was a dollar seventy-five. Tw was great price, so neither right? yeah, yeah. But he was always listed as the number one contender for the Portland Championship Wrestling, like off and on. So it might have been when he was just taking some time off. Like I think, well, now it's all contracts. But like Brock Lesnar, if he showed up at Pro Wrestling Hollywood, Gorilla, whatever, for a one match deal. Mm-hmm. He probably could because of all the time that he stays away, but he's not like Piper. He don't love the business. He loves the money. So he signs exclusivities with WWE. Russell is there. Yeah. Someone like, let's say, Brian Danielson. That's the first time I've ever called him that, by the way. Let's say him. Mm-hmm. Say he didn't have to sign an exclusive deal with uh, AEW, but he knew signing with WWE means he can't do anything else. So what if he signs, he tells AEW, I'll, you just sign me on a per-match basis or per month or per feud or per angle, and then he just shows up and wrestles wherever he wants. That's what something he would do, like, because he loves the wrestling business, right? And he that's wanted, what he, he wanted to do, well, to talk about Brian Danielson, he wanted to do that Washington show. Right. Tony Khan said no because we want to book AEW Dynamite for that particular time. So well, your first match there. Back. Yeah, so he wanted to do that. But, again, it's it's – like you always use the word gratitude, Roddy Piper wanted to give that, and probably he did that for free. I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that he did that he for was free. In the building, right? Giving the he rub. Was, yeah, he was giving the rub to Scott Anthony, who needed it. He beat Scott Anthony in the arm wrestling challenge, and he did the. And you know, the promoters hated this, but he had, they had no choice. Roddy Piper took that thousand dollars, and what did he do? Go What's around it? and give it to the fans. A hundred here, twenty here. I would be happy to get a fifty or a twenty or a hundred dollars. Which means bill. it wasn't really a thousand dollars, and it very well could have been his payday, and he did it. Is that another theory, or you think that might have yeah. happened? It was definitely not a thousand dollars, because you think all those fans are going to get together, and go, all right, let's count it up. They're not. <laughs> hey. Dude's out ones or fives or tens, and it's probably a hundred or two hundred dollars. Like, what would you pay me tonight? Two fifty. All right, this is what I'm going to do, and he just hands out two hundred fifty dollars worth of ten dollar bills. Yeah. Hey, I'll take the ten dollars. You know, if I'm if I'm uh, thirteen years old, I'm taking it. Because even if it's hundred dollar bills, there's only ten of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So fifty dollar bill would be twenty of them. Ten dollar bill would be a hundred of them. Yeah. 
So let, you know, let me let me ask you this question, TW, in hindsight. Again, because we have to always merge yesteryear with today's over analytics. You and I know that Piper doing something with Scott Anthony of untapped potential, this youth movement, the future of wrestling, less this is what it's supposed to be. The Wiley veteran giving the rub to this young upstart. But would we have podcast there would be podcasts saying, Wow. Roddy Piper comes in from WWF, comes in from Vince McMahon land. The spot. And does a spot and buries our local star, Scott Anthony. What say you, TW? And, and steals somebody else's spot that could have been the guy burying Scott Anthony. Like, right. Making a baby face. What that did was it made everybody who didn't go to that show that night go, fuck, Piper was there? I got to go next month. And Piper wasn't there next month. You know what I mean? Right. Like. That's why he does it. So then people are like, well, you never know who's coming here. It's why they don't tell you Cody Rhodes is coming to WrestleMania because it, it's, it means something. You know, everyone everyone knew. And so the moment he came out, he might not be coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Flip side of that is this last week. And they even fucked up on their fucking graphic. Johnny Nitro comes out instead of Johnny Gargano. Half those people left there disappointed because they were hoping it was Johnny Gargano. So poor John Morrison has to be the guy come out as a letdown because people were leaking or uh, believing that it was going to be Johnny Gargano because Candice LeRae just had her contract run out. They were going to be both jokers. And, so, that, and that is why social media does ruin professional wrestling absolutely. today because, because of things like that. There Me are and- things that Vince McMahon has changed. Because people speculated on the internet what it was going to be. And he's like, fuck it, we're doing something else. So it, it, the, the internet absolutely ruins wrestling. Absolutely. What it should do is mm-hmm. bring up, there should be, fuck it, it's segregation, but at this point I think everyone would take it. There should just be sites just for blowing AEW, just for blowing WWE, and mm-hmm. vice versa. For burying AEW and burying WWE. If that's what you want to do is hang out with people that do that all day, go do it with them because you're right. ruining it for the people that don't. Like, um, there, There's a couple guys, I'm not going to mention them by name in case they ever do listen to our show, but you, I've mentioned them to you before. There's guys on there who just clearly think AEW can do no wrong, and they always preface everything they say with, I didn't watch it, but. And then tell you every single thing WWE's done for the last week and a half. Yeah, you, clearly you didn't watch it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So if you got to bury something else to get people to like what you like, then your mm-hmm. shit you like ain't that good. So, but it's it's not the case either. But that's how you come across, right? Yeah. I, I get AEW. Now that mm-hmm. AEW is half of NXT, it's a lot more watchable for me, right? <laughs> oh, God. Well, you have your criteria. That's all that matters. But... For Portland Wrestling, let's put a bow on the last segment here. And you actually mentioned it. We don't have to go with the uh, the rape allegations. But they were technically a popular hometown tag team. The Juicers, Beetlejuice, Big Juice. I don't know how they – but it's the Bars, right? The, the, they're the Bar Brothers. Well, one's Art Bar. It was Piper who told him he should call himself Beetlejuice, and he – did it, and then they right. added the other one. It was Big Juicer and Little Juicer, the Beetle Juicers. But they weren't related. It was Art Bar was the Little Juicer, right? He's Art Bar. The other one's J.W. Storm, who's okay. in both WWE and WCW. He's in Maximum Overdrive as a tag team. Now, uh, now, now, before you – I didn't want me to cut you off. I just want to give a visual there. 
but they, they're they're technically reflectionized if you never really saw it. Google you know, the juicer for WCW, but they're meant to be WWF characters, right? Especially this is what Vince McMahon's you know. This is his wet dream. This is his wet dream of a, of a character for children, the juicers. They painted their faces. They came out to, you know, Dale from Harry Belafonte from, from the Beetlejuice movie. Have the kids come in. You know, they were holding kids. You know, oh, shit. You know, Art Bar, registered sex, offense, sex <laughs> offender, is holding a, a little girl. But neither here nor there. I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm not trying to make light of it. But I'm just giving you the obvious here. But... This is Vince McMahon's wet dream, T.W., the juicers being kid-friendly in that es- essence. And because of the allegations and because of the reputation, it never you know, manifested in WWE television. But you could see for Portland television, for localized television, they were grooming them to be called up by Vince McMahon. What's A.T.W. about the juicers? And we'll put well, a bow on that. Well, if WCW changes your name, then you know there's no chance in hell that Vince is ever going to use it. So... But they called him the juicer, only him by himself. And J.W. Storm ended up wrestling for both promotions eventually. But they called him the juicer himself, lasted, I think, a year or less there. And all that shit came back up, the the sex offender stuff. But Mm -hmm. what it's funny you said that. I'm going to assume you read the same thing I read. The reason um, Jim Hurd signed him was because they were dead even with the adult demographic, like the AEW fans like to bring up the demos, but they were fucking nowhere near the kids' demographic. So they hired Art Bar to be the juicer there, thinking he was going to be the one who got kids to watch. And right. How ironic. How ironic that you get the kid guy to get you to watch kids watching it. So, but, you know, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse because I, I, I tend to believe he just made the mistake of not asking a girl how old she was. And mm-hmm. Probably got caught. It was probably somewhere they shouldn't have been doing it. And that's probably how the whole charges got brought up. Because you and I both know there's girls out there that are like, yeah. And then they don't want to get in trouble with their parents. So they say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't want to do that. He made me. You know, and and that's sad. You know, at the end of the day, he shouldn't have been. But T.W., try to to separate the court stuff with the wrestling stuff. Let's let's stay with that. So the juicers. I'm bringing up the pictures again. This is the thing that I was going to bring the pictures up about. Okay. So I find this box in my garage, and, and um, I bring it in, and it's just tons of my wrestling photos, right, that fans used to take for me. I had three fans that would take pictures. Remember when you used to take the video or your film to CBS, and they would give you double-double or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like They would yeah. give you every picture twice. Mm-hmm. They would come up to me and give me every picture of me that they took every month. And so That's I had nice. to a box full of them. And back in 1994, they had the WCW AAA when worlds collide pay-per-view. It was a big deal because it Mm -hmm. was not WCW or WWE. It was AAA, but WCW helped them. Um, And the the people that I remembered the most, they, they called them the American gigolos on that, but they were called the uh, low something Americano villainos or something like that. Well, Art Bar did the frog splash in that match. He died two, three days later of a heart attack. So the very next time I wrestled, I was on the top rope, and I had already gone up there so many times that I didn't know what I was doing next. I did my elbow flying. I did my elbow laying like Macho Man, and I did, like, uh, 
flying clothesline. So when I got to the top rope, Rico was laying in the ring, and I looked down, and I went, and I looked to the crowd. I go, this is for our bar, and I did the frog splash for the first time ever. And I only did it because I didn't know what else to do. I had just remembered he died. I think when I saw that he died, I go, I'm going to do the frog splash for him, but forgot. And when I did it, I went to the back, and Chris Carter came up to me and goes, hey, kid, how long have you been doing that move? And I said, I, it's the first time I ever did it tonight. He goes, don't stop doing it. And I that became my signature in, in wrestling was the frog splash. And so when I became Calavera Cortez, it was a no-brainer that I was going to do it because by then Eddie Guerrero was doing it as a tribute to Art Bar. And mm-hmm. so that's how I started doing the frog splash for Art Bar. So I don't want to come off as an apologist for him. I just think there's a difference between people who are actual fucking criminals and people who aren't. And yes, he probably fucked up and did something he shouldn't have done, but the maliceness of which is associated with the label that people would give him today, I don't think is warranted if, in fact, he only pled guilty because he was pressured into it by Don Owens, by, you know, because th- that stuff happens too, where some young kid who thinks they're going to throw him in jail for the rest of his life gets I, I, talked into pleading guilty to something he didn't do so he doesn't get the death penalty. It's weird because, again, if social media was prevalent during he our never, thing, he would, he would never got to WCW. He would never he would have, have been, been on that. Oh, he would have been done, period. Yeah, he would have been done. So, you know, your tribute to Art Bar, Eddie Guerrero's tribute to Art Bar with the frog splash, you know, is actually still celebrated. I, I don't think when you when you do that, you hear the name Art Bar with the frog splash. Right. But tonight we're going to hear Art Barr, the you know registered sex offender. So right. you don't that story is kind of if you're a hardcore fan, you'll hear that and you'll know I it. I just learned it. Yeah, so that that's the thing. So you don't know that story if you want to delve into that. You you're more than welcome to reflection. Nice. We're talking about the wrestling here. So again, right. the juicer was Vince McMahon's wet dream, but because of the circumstances behind I Art Barr, there. I disagree. There. That's what you're asking me. Because, A, I think it was a lazy gimmick. B, uh, like, like I think I tell you. Wait, 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 wait. Lazy? Okay. Yes. Now, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna have to retort back. Hold your thought. Here's why. Here's why. They don't okay. look like Beetlejuice. Their outfit's not like Beetlejuice. All he did was throw baby powder in his hair and put face paint on there. Now, maybe he did that so he didn't get sued. But if mm-hmm. they're coming out to Dale, I don't think he's worrying about lawsuits because he's full-on gimmick stealing, right? But. What I'm saying is, I would say the ding-dongs were more of a Vince, Man, Vince McMahon uh, wet dream because it was stealing from nothing. They were just two idiots coming out and pink tights and bells on them, the ding-dong. Because let's be honest, who looks just like the ding-dongs that came out right after the ding-dongs? The Conquistadors. Just two dudes in all gold fucking Blue Man Group outfits the before the Blue Man were, But the Conquistadors were first. The ding-dongs were second. Okay, then they stole their idea. Perfect yeah, example. So. He did it first. They did it shitty. So, but yeah. what? But what I'm saying is, it's 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 cheap heat. I think I've told you that term before. You probably knew it before I even said it. Cheap mm-hmm. heat is when Edge and Christian will come out for their five second photo in a Colorado Avalanche jersey, walking to the ring in the Joe Louis Arena. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely getting booed out of the building for doing that. It's mm-hmm. their biggest rival in the home venue of the hockey team of the local town, or. The cheap heat is coming to the ring wearing a Miguel Cabrera jersey in Detroit. People are going to cheer you. 
musicians do it in Detroit all the time. Someone throws them a jersey on the stage. It's got their name on it, number one. They put it on. The entire place goes bananas because Garth mm-hmm. Brooks is wearing a Red Wing jersey. So, cheap okay. heat to me. And, it, and it's not Arbar's fault because it was Piper that suggested it. But Vince would have refined it. Vince would have made that's, it. Better. That's what I'm saying. He would Look re- at the picture of the juicer. Not mm-hmm. Beetlejuice that we watch in this very poor quality YouTube video. Mm-hmm. But uh, look at the picture of Art Bar as the juicer. Absolutely. He looks more like Dan Housen than he looks like Beetlejuice. And that's what I mean by lazy. Mm-hmm. Like you're trying to do this, but you're not even making it even remotely look like. Like, what? remember the demon? Mm-hmm. That guy looked like Gene Simmons. Granted, he had the blessing of Gene Simmons. But they went all out. This dude had the same. But, yeah, I, I get you because Vince McMahon would have refined it because he they wouldn't have the blessing of Warner Brothers because right. it's Beetlejuice's character right. and image. So you couldn't do that. I get that. I'm saying it's a wet dream for Vince McMahon because of what it, the character represents, what the it does, yes, the the, what it what it did in the arena to carry kids around the arena. That's right. what he want. That's what Vince Bushwhack- wanted. Bushwhackers did that shit. Yeah, bushwhackers licked kids' faces. Yeah. The juicers carried kids and danced around the ring. That's why Vince yeah. McMahon had a wet I'm dream for saying, that character. I'm just saying if Vince wanted that specifically, the only way WCW gets him over Vince is if Vince didn't know about him yet. Mm-hmm. That's it. If Vince wanted him, he would have had him, is my point. Okay. That's all well, I'm saying. I, I, I get your he, question of the, the ideology of it. Yeah, absolutely. He'd love it. But Vince is not in the business of getting sued. That's why you don't come to the ring to welcome to the jungle when you're the Steiner brothers. No, no. Again, I understand that. But also, you have to say, WCW didn't steal the juicer, in my opinion. The reason that I say that is because Vince McMahon would have just offered the juicer opportunity. He wasn't going right. to pay the juicer. Oh, WCW man. paid the juicer probably more and guaranteed money. You can't deny that, too. Right, but I'm saying... It, who, who just said it? Booker T said it. I think he said it about MJF. He says, I think, and it's going to have to, it's going to take 15, 20 years before it changes. In my opinion, okay. in my humble opinion, mm-hmm. Booker T nailed it on the head when he said he thinks when MJF's contracts comes up, he is going to WWE because every kid dreams of standing in that ring at a WrestleMania. And he goes, and I, I think that is universal. Like, other than, you know, your people like Will Ospreay. I'd never go there. I'm not a fan. Whatever. Fuck you. And then you get kidney cancer right after it. But anyways, uh, ooh, that's going to piss off fucking A-Track. But anyway. Uh, yes, it will. But my point is, he's not wrong. Like, Cody Rhodes left AEW to go to have that WrestleMania moment. And I guarantee you, he ain't disappointed yet. Right? No. So I'm saying to you, especially in 1990... Yes, there is something to be said if you get outbid, but I think if you're Art Bar and you grew up in the business and your dad is Sandy Bar and he's a referee, probably came across Vince McMahon over the years in the indies or whatever back when there was territories, Art Bar as Beetlejuice in a WrestleMania ring is probably giving him boners, you know, just thinking about, you know, like that's that's the pinnacle, if you will. So I'm, I'm just saying because I, he picked I a get, I, but I. I get where you're going with that, and well, I'm gonna put a bow in this because we, you know, this will be another long debate. <laughs> but what you're saying for 1990, but to be fair, 
<laughs> WrestleMania is only six years old, so it doesn't have that same. Only eighteen twenty. Right, but it's the, it's not a dream to work right, okay. WrestleMania. All right, you're so, right. Right. If it was 2000, I give you that. Yeah. Everything you said You're works. But well, 1990, I, it's still young. That well, WrestleMania is not the granddad. They promoted it as the granddaddy. They promoted it as the Super Bowl. I get you. But it's not a dream to me. Right. But, right. And with that being... Oh, you wanna, and you got to back. Okay. He's in the wrestling business. His dad's in the wrestling business. Yeah. You're going to WWF to become rich, is my point. Like, it's the bigger lure. Uh, but if it's not guaranteed money, you know between... Well, Doink's not around yet, I don't think. Um, no. But you know between George the Animal Steel, you know between Jake the Snake and he was the, the Bush... Well, I don't think the Bushwhackers are there by 90. Yeah, they're there. Were they there in the 80s? Yeah, they were there. <laughs> they, were, they were in the WWE since 88. Okay. So you know what they're going to do with you if you're that. Mm-hmm. You're making money. You're yeah. getting put on the lunchbox. You're getting mm-hmm. put in the fucking action figures. So I, I think the lure would have been more to go there than WCW. The, especially the, comer- WCW. the commercialization, I'll yeah. give you that, is more potential yeah. in WWF, especially yeah. in 1990, than WCW. And with that being said, we close on this episodic episode of the Pacific Northwest Wrestling, Portland Wrestling, if you will, from April of 1990. So... TW, you've been such... The attendance has been stellar. I'm going to give you a week off. You deserve it. You deserve a week off, and we'll come back in two weeks, and we'll right. do what we With do best. Piper? Huh? Roddy Piper show? I'm going to try not to do a pipe, anything Piper-oriented. That's, I, that's why I need a week off. We, I have to so- find something that has nothing to do with Roddy Roddy Piper. So with that being said, TW, give out those socials so we can get out of here. All righty. The Pro Wrestling Coalition Network can be found at PWC Network at podbean.com. We can be found at PW Reflection on Twitter. Um, I can be found on Twitter at TommyWonder19 or at TheTommyWonder, um, which is also my TikTok is at TheTommyWonder. Snapchat is NumberWonder, Facebook.com backslash TommyWonder. Uh, Big Ray, can't do it without him. Please get on there and like his thumbnails whenever he does that. Um, he is at Big Ray Hernandez. Can't do it without the Big Vito family. So BigVitoBrand.Wixsite.com or Patreon.com backslash the Big Vito Brand. Um, and then, of course, Dum Dum Doing an Idiot, which we still have not done a video yet. But we are going to, I promise you, when we do one, we're going to do a thousand in a row. Um, we're just going to do like a, a, a Impact uh, TV taping. We're gonna take four weeks in a row at one night, and I'm gonna get hospitalized. But um, but yeah, no, that's that. that. And uh, that's it. That's all I got. Now it's on to you. And you can find me on my Twitter at pwsoprof. That's pwsoprof. And if this gets uploaded by Eight Track Brown, this will be on the PWSO networks on the YouTube. Follow my brothers in arms, the man with the documents. Billy Ray Valentine at OB1, you know me. And again, the king of the reactions, 8-Track Brown at 8-Track Dastly. We're going to take a week off Reflection Nights because, again, I tr- I'm going to try to find something that's not Roddy Piper related because, again, four out of five, I-, I must have an affinity for him. You know, no homo. But anyway, neither here nor there. But we will be back in two weeks doing what we do best, being the kings of nostalgia, the kings of the time machines of pro wrestling. And for that, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful Tommy Wonder saying good night, and we'll see you in two weeks. Peace, Reflectionites. Deuce.
Bow, 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 bow.